They were overjoyed when they found out they were having identical twins, girls. But when the girls started growing up, their personality couldn't be any more different. Also, you're going to a job interview. You get into the elevator and suddenly it plummets and falls to the lowest floor possible. And now you're stuck in this claustrophobic cube with people you don't know. And there could be even stranger things happening. Welcome to another episode. I'm Jenny. And I'm Chels. And today we have two great stories for you. One of them is going to be a series and that's the one about the elevator. So, of course, we're going to have a two-parter. And Chels has the other story for us about the couple that had twins with different that might be identical but not when it comes to the behavioral part so what you have for us yeah that might not always be a problem but based on the title i think there will be a little more the story that i have for you is again from the no sleep subreddit and it is called i did not mean to kill my daughter 75 seconds The last time I asked my wife how much longer she had been in the shower, it's what she said. It wasn't just over a minute, or a little bit. It was exactly 75 seconds, because my wife was a very precise person, punctual, on time. She wouldn't be there in 10, she would be there in 8.5 minutes. She was a woman who can count the time she's been late on one hand and still loses sleep over it. I realize I'm giving the wrong impression. My wife, Kathleen, is by no means crazy. She simply has a better sense of time than most and likes to show it off. She doesn't even have a watch. A game of ours is when I'll ask her the hour and she'll say the time while only ever being off by a few minutes. So when she told the doctors that I was unconscious for a minute or two, I was a little shocked. I knew she was mad at me then. The hospital's policy is to keep you for at least one night if you lose consciousness for any amount of time. Longer than 30 seconds and it was a three day minimum. They were more concerned about my lapse of memory surrounding the moment when I hit my head though. I know I was fixing the basement stairs. I remember the brief jolt of panic as I fell, knowing my skull would slap against the stone floor. But that was it. I was apparently awake and talking by the time the paramedics arrived. But that memory is gone. Only now my short-term memory is healing. I can remember the hospital cafeteria slop I was fed for last night. I can remember when my boss came to drop off a six-pack of beer disguised in resealed Sprecher root beer bottles. But most of my thoughts were on my daughter. The hospital made me think of her. Or what? we had done to her. I had a set of adorable identical twins and life was on its way to a fairy tale until Sophia, the oldest by 4 minutes and 37 seconds, started getting sick. And I don't mean physical, visible illness. It sounds so selfish, but I would have preferred cancer, disease, something that could be seen. But the sickness was in her head. 
and what was almost as bad as Sophia being sick herself was the hate from friends and family. People don't believe that a child could be depressed or paranoid or downright disturbed all on their own. It had to be us. There was an unsaid assumption that if a kid was fucked up before purity, it was the parents' fault. It had to be the nurture because nature took care of kids' minds just fine, right? Caitlin's lost some friend who accused me of abuse. We had CPS called on us multiple times. We didn't know what to do. We're just a couple of kids ourselves who decided to make a little human being. We were out of our depth. I couldn't stomach the trips to the clinic. Kathleen was used to the cleaning, chemical stench, and fluorescent strobe of hospital hallways. She said that before her sister, Cindy, lost a fight to a blood disease, her family was always in and out of every kind of medical institution, Western and non. I suppose I have to paint a picture so you can understand why parents would give up on their child. I don't want to be the bad guy here. Sophia liked to torture animals, set things on fire, stare at her mom and I as we slept. Classic serial killer shit. Her identical twin, Rachel, was normal. We tried expensive child therapy that left bills we couldn't pay. Kathleen couldn't stand the price, but I wanted it to be expensive. I wanted to be able to look myself in the mirror and say my wife and I went into debt to try to help a little girl. We did everything, and when nothing worked, and Sophia killed the neighbor's new fee by using a punji stick trap she proudly told us was perfected by the Viet Cong and banned by the Geneva Convention, we sent her away. I knew this would happen, Kathleen sobbed in the passenger seat after we dropped Sophia at the Rainbow River Young Adult and Child Inpatient Psychiatry Treatment Center. A mouthful of a euphemism for insane asylum. Caitlin couldn't be consoled. She kept crying while my hand bobbed helplessly on her shoulder. Ever since there were babies, the day they were born, I knew it would always be this way. I knew it would be here. I thought she was just being hard on herself. I didn't even think to ask how she could possibly know. There is nothing we could have done different, I said. That's not true. She sniffed up her snot and wiped her eyes. We never had to have kids in the first place. This is the part that's personal. A part that I know most parents would omit, but when we got home, I was 100 pounds lighter. Sophia was gone. As far as I was concerned, when people asked, I had one daughter. We were a three-person family now, and even our Christmas card would suggest so. We were one of those families with a dark secret, one that new friends would never learn, no matter how close they get to us. Too embarrassing to ever tell. Too easy to just forget. A daughter locked away. After a while, I really did begin to forget about her. Since Rachel and Sophia were identical, it wasn't hard to picture I had just one kid. There was no face I had to forget. If I saw Sophia in my dreams, it was easy to lie to myself and say it was Rachel. The only time my fantasy crumbled was when Rachel would ask about her. But as time went on, she asked less and less. Life was a fairy tale again. 
although with a little more of a dark Disney-esque twist. That was two years ago, before I fell down the stairs. And to be honest, I hadn't gone to see Sophia since. Three days later, I got home from the hospital and my life was the same as it was and there was just less linoleum in the air. I was propped up in bed with the curtains drawn and the lights still. Kathleen and Rachel had both been rather quiet since I woke up in the hospital bed. My girls were noisy. They had loud laughs and perhaps obnoxious voices if you didn't love them. But the doctors recommended no loud noises, so I was stuck in this subdued world for another couple weeks. The first day Caitlin came in, she set my food tray on the bedside table. I know it's against protocol, honey, but can you please just give me a hearty laugh? Hell, a yell, just something other than silence, I said. She tilted her head but didn't smile. You know I can't do that, she nearly whispered. You had a brain bleed. I paused and gently grabbed her wrist. She wasn't wearing her wedding ring. Where's your ring? She withdrew her hand from my grasp and smiled sadly. What? I nearly yelled as she walked towards the door. Caitlin, what happened when I fell? What did I do? Suddenly, I was stricken with guilt. Did I do something awful that I couldn't remember? Caitlin? I called, but she said nothing and closed the bedroom door gently behind her. Suddenly, I was afraid. Something was wrong. Even if she wasn't mad at me, Caitlin being able to keep quiet easily made sense. She was an adult and would take the doctor's order seriously. But Rachel? It seemed easy for Rachel too. She didn't need any reminder to keep her voice down or play quieter. She seemed, for the first time in her life, disturbed just like her sister. Night was the only time I could move around. Light in nearly any amount still made my brain throb. When it was well past dark, Caitlin still hadn't come up yet, and I figured she was watching TV in the basement so she wouldn't bug me. Or maybe she was avoiding me. I couldn't tell. I went to the kitchen to make myself some food. Kathleen also hadn't been putting her usual amount of love into my meals. They were hastily tossed together. I jumped when I reached the stairs. Rachel was standing on the landing, staring at me. Hey, honey, I swallowed my spit nervously. I was afraid of my little girl. My little girl. But I thought maybe I was right to because she didn't respond right away. Rachel? Daddy, she paused. I think there's something wrong with mommy. I turned on the hall light to better look at my daughter. When Rachel was just a toddler, she clipped her cheek on the corner of a coffee table. It was a surprisingly nasty gash, one that I actually hoped would leave a scar. Being a daddy is difficult enough, and I wanted something other than hairstyles to tell my girls apart. But Rachel had been so young, it healed completely. She and her sister were truly identical. What makes you say that, sweetheart? Lots of things. She was swaying her shoulders now. She said, I need to come with her to work tomorrow. That made some sense. Rachel didn't have school the next day. It was parents-teachers conference, and I couldn't look after her myself. Well, she's your mother, honey. You have to listen to her.
Why don't you go back to it? It's late. We'll talk about it in the morning. Rachel walked up the rest of the stairs toward her room and I gave her an embarrassingly wide berth. She stood in her doorway and stared at me. She was waiting for me to tell her I loved her, surely. But I just bit my tongue looking her over and she said nothing, not even good night, and simply closed the door. I freeze, I freeze this frame every day now. I play it back in my brain again and again. Rachel staring at me from the doorway, waiting. I didn't know it then. It was subtle the way sinister things are, but I'm certain that was the worst moment of my life. The next day, I woke up early and found Kathleen's side of the bed empty. Cold. The bedding not even pulled back. It was an overcast day, but... Even if it was sunshine and clear skies, I knew I had to get out of bed. I knew something was wrong. Kathleen was not the type to sleep on the couch. I dialed Sophia's treatment center and was greeted with the kind cadence of receptionists who listen to panicked parents day in and day out. Hello, this may seem a weird question, but I'm Sophia Davis's father. I'm wondering if she's there now, or if she has been suddenly acting different. She confirmed my identity with my number and clicked her tongue against her teeth. Um, just a second, sir. Hold music. Elevator music. Saucy saxophones were the soundtrack of my life falling apart. It wasn't going to be John Williams. That's just how life works. As reality cruelly unfolds, he likes to play little jokes like that to laugh along to your pain. Your life is falling apart. Listen to this sax riff. Sir, your daughter is fine. Her behavior the last few weeks has been reported as normal. Uh, are you sure it's her? You see, she has a sister. Yes, we're certain it's Sophia. Uh, thank you, I said quickly and hung up. We went outside, stumbling into the backyard. Oh, I went outside, stumbling into the backyard to see if Caitlin's car was gone. But something caught my eye in the grass. It was my wife's phone stone cold and wet with you. It was dead and I walked inside quickly to charge it. There would be something on there that would tell me what was going on. Text to a best friend, Google searches. But it was nothing like that. When I turned it on, she had dozens of missed calls and texts, a hundred notifications. Her phone had been off for days. Four days exactly. I was able to figure out from the age of the oldest notification. The texts were concerning an angry boss her friends thinking that she was mad at them but the voicemails they were several all from a psychiatric center a dr renner had left voicemail after voicemail i yanked the phone from the charger and paced where i had space in the backyard to listen to them i knew then why my wife was prophetic about sophia's fate why she was so sure ever since our girls were born that Sophia would end up in a psych center. I dropped the phone back to the grass. The side door to the garage was slightly ajar, but I already had a feeling of what was inside. I pushed the door open and laying in a circle of dry blood was my wife. Wedding ring shining on her finger. From the flies and the stench, I knew she'd been dead for days. My wife was here. Dead. 
that means I sent Rachel with her. I told her to listen to her mom. I ignored my daughter's gut and didn't even tell her goodnight. I killed my girl with those words. I can't pretend I didn't because that wasn't her mother. Caitlin's sister, Cindy, is alive. And they're twins, identical, just like my daughter's. As it turns out, Cindy likes to torture and kill things too. And she escaped from her insane asylum just four days ago. And that's the end of the story. It has to be more. That's where it stops. That is the official ending so far. They may go and add in some more. But, um, so long, well, medium story short, the him and his wife had the twins and the wife lied to him saying that her, her sister Cindy was dead and passed away from that mm-hmm. blood disease, but she didn't. Her sister was very much alive and they were identical twins, but the sister had issues. So they were sent, they did, the the wife's parents did the exact same thing that they did. And yeah, pretended that sister was just dead. And it looks like she came with a revenge. So did she, at at first, I thought it was the daughter that escaped. So did she did she get out and get the the, the deranged daughter? It doesn't too? look like it. And Be- at least supposedly, based because he called the center, the asylum that his daughter is in, and um, they said that she's there and she's fine, like she's she's there. So his own daughter was the one that was under there, like what that was in the house, like the I mean, they're both his daughter, but the normal one. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the yep. okay, the one that's so, and um, the, the mother's twin sister is the one that was the issue. What I think happened, based since the 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 wife was dead a cup for a couple of days, I think she tried to kill both parents mm-hmm. and maybe take the daughter. But since he didn't die from the fall, because now I'm suspect I'm I'm suspicious of the fall in the garage or the basement. It was the basement, but yeah. Yeah, but also at the same time, this is uh, this <laughs> is a bad opening, like open ended. Like we don't know what's gonna happen with the twin. Like, it's, did he call the police? Mm-hmm. Is he gonna confront her? Like, it's up for you to imagine happen? the worst. No. <laughs> No, I, don't. <laughs> I know I how much early. you enjoy the open endings ones, but I actually like this one. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. This one just came out of nowhere because there was nothing. It was out of nowhere, and I'm like, wait, which sister? Which which? When they say what goes around comes white? around, that's why when they were after they dropped her off, he was like, oh, and they, like the 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 mother was like, I knew this would happen. I knew it would happen. I have. How you know you couldn't have known? They're like, yeah, because we did the same stuff. Yeah. But so what you got for us? Mm. All right. So the story I have today. It's a series. So we're going to have to break it down. Okay. For the next episode. But it says, I'm trapped in a basement elevator alongside mm. complete strangers it started with me and six others waking up in total darkness my body aching and my head throbbing 
I'm sure the others in the elevator feel the same as I grab at the wall and pull myself to my feet. My first instinct was to pull my smartphone out. Thankfully, it's still intact. With only a few minor scratches and cracks, but I have no signal at all at the moment. No nearby networks to connect to, a reliance on technology that makes me feel queasy. I used the flashlight to get a good look at the people around me. All of them are vaguely familiar for some, for a few seconds ago, when we were in the world above, but just seeing their faces doesn't make me feel any safer. Each of us is scared, confused, and a little jarred from our experience. None of us are sure what has happened. Here's what I have managed to gather as far as I can remember it. I was on my way to a job interview. The ironic thing is, I didn't even know what it was for. I'd signed up a few weeks back for those automated alerts sent out by temp agencies and got one from the hiring firm on the sixth floor of this building. I never made it past fourth floor. Is everyone okay? A businesswoman in a pantsuit asked as she uses her own phone to check all of us for injuries. That's when we noticed the young girl crouched in the corner of the elevator. Before she was just a blurred stranger amid the others, but now I can see that she's curled up in a ball and doing her best not to panic. Of all the people here, she is the one that doesn't seem like she belongs at all. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have perfect facial recollection of every person I meet. But this place is a multi-corporate building, not a residential high-rise. There is no reason for a child to be here. There are the sort of thoughts that rattle through my brain as I struggle to control, my, collect myself. We must have fallen 10 stories at least. A dark-skinned maintenance man comments as the businesswoman shines her phone to the roof above. I can only guess that's his job based on his trousers and overalls and the toolbox at his side. The ceiling is about 10 to 12 feet over our heads. And I'm sure all of us are likely thinking that at some point we will need to construct a human ladder to get out of here. This building has a basement? A, young, a younger man carrying a backpack like he's been traveling for days asks. He looks like he just got back from the army since he's still in his uniform. Our being here is proof enough to answer his question, so none of us bother to acknowledge it. The businesswoman is doing what anyone I think would naturally do first in this situation. She tried to press all the buttons to the elevator. It's a wasted exercise. But it still makes sense in our panic to roll out the obvious first. The next stranger, a woman who seems unable to speak, motioned with her hands. I realize that she's using American Sign Language but I haven't a clue what she's saying. In a vain hope that she can read my lips, I say, I don't know what happened. I am the one who tries the emergency phone, but it's too, it's dead. Surprisingly, my own phone worked for a moment, but I, I didn't seize the opportunity and the signal is gone. I could have acted faster, but I felt dizzy. Maybe everything happened so fast, just hit me like a train. Then I notice for a brief second that I'm connected to the network again and I desperately and desperately I make a call to 911. The response is only garbled noise and static that almost sound like a scream. The businesswoman tries her phone too but is greeted with similar results. 
then the network is gone and we are all out of range our window of opportunity gone it's a little disheartening but none of us want to start acting like this is a problem yet i can sense the tension in the air especially as we hear the little girl's heightened breathing in the corner it could be so easy for all of us to fall into the same panic and then i wonder if we should maybe comfort her is she here alone i feel awkward not knowing what to do and i get the same feeling from everyone else we're probably too far down for regular self-service can you attach to any wi-fi network at all the maintenance man asked at the moment i can't and i decide to save my phone battery and try later again update later the other person of the group a young woman who looks like she might be she might work as a nurse because she's wearing scrubs as the maintenance man if he has anything to attempt to pry the door of the elevator open it sounds like the best way out of here so none of us object as he searches through his tool bag and finds anything that might unhinge the door myself and the businesswoman who i soon learned is named chloe position ourselves on either side of the him to shine our phone lights at the door crack and give him enough lighting to see what he's doing these modern elevators aren't the kind where you can just slip your fingers between the folds of the metal to pry open the door and i can see the man is struggling to push them apart with what he has but it's also another wasted effort once it does budge a little we notice that there's only concrete on the other side We've gone too far down. Even the deaf lady knows what he's saying when he curses and kicks the door. Shit. It feels like it feels like this is an understatement of our entire situation. And I'm starting to feel a sense of hopelessness at this point. The young soldier next suggests the human ladder. These modern elevators aren't the kind you can just slip your fingers between the folds of the metal to pry it open and I can see the man is struggling to push them apart with what he has. But it's also another wasted effort. Once it does budge a little, we notice that there's only concrete on the other side. We've gone too far now. Even the deaf lady knows what he's saying when he cusses and kicks the door. Shit! It feels like this is an understatement of our entire situation and I'm starting to feel a sense of hopelessness at this point. The young soldier next suggests the human ladder that had popped into my brain earlier. All other avenue of escape had been exhausted after all. We might be able to get a signal from the Wi-Fi in the lobby, he adds. I join him as a stabilizing force at the bottom of the ladder and the maintenance man takes the center as the nurse struggles to crawl up on his shoulders but can't quite reach the emergency exit. The deaf lady is shaking, clearly scared of height and refusing to cooperate, but somehow we convince her to do it. I don't think I can climb that high either, Chloe admits. We look towards a girl who is still curled up in the ball, but it's highly unlikely that she will help us. She finally pushes to make up to the shaky human ladder to try to exit, but it's large shot. I can't even make it budge. She admits as she quickly climbed down as we dismantled the attempt to escape. 
My muscles were quickly tired out from the attempt, and I gave a loud exhausted sigh of frustration. It's none of their fault, but I know the tension between all of us is raising. The maintenance man makes the simplest choice, given our circumstances. The fire department had probably already been called after the elevator dropped, he told us. We should just wait for rescue. He's telling us this as a mean of reassurance, I know, and his logic doesn't seem flawed yet. As far as the rest of us can tell, although we did fall seemingly 10 stories into the hidden sub-basements, nothing else had bad has happened yet. It's the only hope we can hold on to for the moment. I slid down on my knees and pulled out my phone again, trying to send a text or something to anyone above. Nothing goes through at the moment, so I begin to take notes of our situation. The nurse decides to make small talk. What's your battery on? 86%, which judging by my luck means I've got around an hour of life in it. I offered to her with a half smile. Inwardly, I'm worried because her question poses another genuine concern. We are all starting to wonder how long we will be down here. Even if it's a few hours, eventually, necessities like food, water, and even toiletry will be needed. But I push all of that concern aside and ask her the same question in turn. Didn't bring it. I'm on my lunch break. Came here to see my boyfriend. She admits and tell me her name. I'm Sydney, by the way. Ellie, I replied. Over the next hour, I make a note to listen to the small talks amid our group and gather details about who they are. It makes me realize, were it not for our current circumstances, I wouldn't know these people at all. I'm going to use the time I have now while I wait for another network to potentially pop up to describe each of them and their life as we wait in this misery. My hope is to make clear this isn't just my personal account of our terror, but the growing concern I have for the strangers I am down here with. There is Chloe, the hard-working businesswoman that is programmer for one of the companies on the seventh floor. She is worried about her two kids, checking her Instagram and Facebook feed constantly to try to for, for a signal. At one point, she even asked to try my own phone, but still had the little luck. We were supposed to go to the museum today after work. It was a surprise for my youngest. She is fascinated with dinosaurs, Chloe tells me. I know that her distracted tone means she's wondering who would even pick up her kids from wherever they are now that she's trapped in this subterranean hell. But she's just trying to keep herself distracted, at least. Hoping that Phil is right about the fire department coming. Phil is a maintenance man and, seem to, and seems the calmest of the group. I think that because he is the oldest and been around this building the longest, we all look at him as a natural leader. Still, he has made it clear he knows nothing about the basement that we are in. I've seen some of the pipes and shit in this place. It's nasty and gritty. But the elevator shaft doesn't go far, that far down. I get the feeling when we drop. We caused some kind of rupture in the flooring, and that's why we are so far down. To be fair though, none of us are really sure how far down we are. It's this strange collective sense of wrongness about being stuck here in the dark at the bottom of a hole that is starting to scratch that desperate itch to escape. Also, none of us have great memories of the drop. That's something else I have picked up on. 
perhaps our brains were all focused on our own personal lives where we were headed next not concerned with whatever fate was about to throw at us or the trauma of the fall has caused our bodies to cover those memories the deaf woman has written her name in a journal she keeps amanda 23 apparently she works as a translator this makes me feel a little more comfortable to know at least she isn't completely in the dark but her other scribble question had me worried what is in the backpack i give a glance to the young soldier whose eyes are darting around the room constantly i don't think we want to know i admit it and then erased what i wrote before anyone else could read it i shouldn't be feeling the tension i'm in shock and in this situation isn't getting any better all of us are experiencing post-traumatic stress that seems to be what happened to the girl in the corner chloe made an attempt to talk to her only causing the poor girl to well i worry for her the most how she got here and how to keep her safe seems to be unknown at this point but all of us feel certain that if we can calm her down things will get a lot worse especially if my guess about the other strangers is right the fidgety young army private who hasn't really bothered to talk to anyone since we all woke up from the fall he keeps checking his watch tapping his right foot in the tiny elevator we are all trapped in and clenching his backpack if he was trying to hide whatever secret he was carrying it isn't working everything he's doing gave me anxiety and therefore he's the one that makes me concerned about our safety is he going to snap is he wondering if any of us can be trusted is he able to be trusted i've seen paranoia like that spread quickly in larger crowd trapped in trapped here in the dark with no idea if we are being rescued it made me feel sick to my stomach to imagine what he might be capable of right past the second hour mark He's the one who voices paranoia, almost predictably. No one here is going to find us, he says. I've managed to send a few texts, but nothing is coming back on my end. We might only have a signal strong enough to send a SOS. When the network comes back on, I could get on my Reddit account, Chloe tells us. I decide to use that to document these notes via uploads, and she offers me her uploads. Maybe someone out there on the big worldwide web will help. Phils keeps reiterating the need to keep calm, but the paranoid soldier isn't hearing them. He is sure something has caused all of this. Are any of you a bit concerned that we all have a jumbled memory of the fall? Doesn't that bother any of you? He snarled. You're thinking it wasn't an accident? Sidney said. It's the only explanation that makes sense. That's why rescue isn't coming, because it's some sort of sick social experiment. He said, trying to sound like he had just made out some profound revelation. All of us are too nervous to even argue him. I know that trying to break someone in their paranoia is an uphill battle. And usually most of us don't worry about doing so. Our circumstances shouldn't allow tension to become worse. So we remain silent. But he still isn't happy with that. Convince our quiet means that we are complying with whatever dark forces he believes are oppressing us just look at this kid she's been in a near panic state since we got here heck i don't even think she was here before he said his words are now sounding like a conspiracy 
it makes the rest of us nervous and scared all over again. Just sit back and wait, pal. Help is on the way, Phil said. Then Phil made the biggest mistake of his life, placing his hand on the young man's shoulder for a sign of respect and reassurance. He reacted with anger. I could see coming a mile away and pushes Phil back. Don't touch me, old man. For all we know, you could have sabotaged the elevator, he snarled. His sudden outburst causes the maintenance man to stumble backward and slam into the wall. Then all of us heard this guttural screeching noise from beyond the metallic, our metallic prison. Amanda reacts to our facial expression and stands up, trying to figure out what's going on. Frozen in place as it reverberates through the walls of our elevator. We all can help but look at each other in the darkness that our eyes have somewhat adjusted to. It doesn't sound like any living thing I have ever heard before. Then at last the noise dies down and this shaking stops and we are in silence and dread again. What the hell was that? Sydney asked, barely forming the words. The young girl is showing her face for the first time, looking toward us with fear and worry. Then she speaks words that we'll never forget. It's awake. That is the first part of the series. Little girl, you're going to have to talk a little more. Because what do you mean it's awake? How do you know it? How do you know where you are? I need explanation. Because right now, Soldier Boy might definitely be onto something. There are so many damn things we take for granted nowadays. Cell phone chargers are definitely one of them. I can't tell you how much I wanted to keep typing. After all of us in this shitty elevator heard this shriek that sounded like the undead coming back from the grave. But I didn't have much choice but to conserve battery life given what had happened next. I will do my best to update what happened in those terrifying moments. The little girl was looking up at us, her body shaking, as she told us to stay completely still. To my surprise, everyone in the elevator listened, even the fidgety army private. The strange noise returned. It got closer, louder, and more frantic. It sounded like it was right past the wall. Amanda was the only one who seemed uncertain what to do. But even though she couldn't hear the strange screams, the elevator was vibrating, and it seemed to be a sign for her to remain motionless. Next, we heard what sounded like a scraping of claws against the metal, loud and repetitive. It's right outside. Don't move, the girl whispered. Chloe's eyes widened in fright, and I can tell she is close to panicking. Then, as sudden as it comes, the strange noise ends, and we are alone again. Only a distant wailing is heard as all stand there too lost for words to even describe what happened. Sydney is the one who steps forward the girl, who has now started to sit cross-legged on the floor of the elevator. Thank you for, for telling us what to do, she said. The little girl ignores her and turns back to the wall, crouching into a ball again. I don't think she will talk to you. Probably still scared, Phil remarks. How did you know what to do? Chloe asked. I told you that she knew what was going on. Something about her is off, the army private says next. I can't help but be tired of his attitude. 
although I have no idea what's going on, his conspiracy shit makes me everything ten times worse. As far as I'm concerned, you're the only one causing problems. Why are you even here in this building? Everyone else told us bits or pieces of their stories. Why haven't you? I countered. I can't help but to mention how claustrophobic this place is. Anytime we are talking, there is less than a few inches of space between us. We are literally breathing the same air. So when I confront the guy, I see the anxiety and anger in his face. And I'm terrified he is going to attack me like he did Phil. Does it matter? We all strangers before we came into this mess. Let's keep it that way, he argues. Kind of hard to do when you're carrying a mystery bag around, Sydney points out. I'm glad she has mentioned what worried Amanda earlier, but I don't like that everyone is becoming agitated. My stuff is my stuff, he snapped back, pushing his backpack against the wall. I can tell this conversation is going nowhere and it feels like we're just making things worse. Maybe to distract ourselves from the danger outside. We should get rest, Phil decides. Sydney and Amanda also seem to argue it's time to relax, especially after the scare. None of us wanted to even dare discuss what it meant. I slumped against the wall and tried to find as much personal space as I can to relax. We are five grown adults trying to cram our bodies into the elevator. Not designed for this claustrophobia. Doesn't even begin to describe what it feels like as I curled my leg under me and closed my eyes. I hope sleep comes easy. Update. Amanda is attempting again to sign instead of write because it is so dark that I can't really he make heads or tails of it. I don't think anyone here understands what she's saying. Maybe it's a panic attack and she isn't thinking clearly like the rest of us. But then to my surprise, the little girl is the one who offered to translate. She asked how, how can we rest and be sure the monster won't return. I look toward the little girl and get a better view at her now. She's possibly 8 or 10, somewhere in those preteen years, where it's impossible to tell. Pale with blue eyes, freckles, and dark red hair. For some reason, I feel like I've seen her before. Before today, I mean. But that couldn't be. Another strange memory that isn't making sense. Well, I'm not sure. Will it come back? asked the girl she diverts her eyes for a while clearly not wanting to talk about it but my mentioning also stirs the interest of others the soldier isn't quite so subtle yeah spit it out how did you know anything about that thing what was it anyways he asked easy she's just as scared as the rest of us chloe commented it's fine i don't have an answer for you anyways only that I know it was here at the drop, she whispers. That piques my interest further, and I sit up. What do you mean? Like it caused it? I ask. She curls her leg under her body a little bit more. It took someone away. Then she turns back towards the wall, clearly wanting to end the conversation. Wait, what the hell does that mean? The soldier asks. I'm anxious to hear the answer too, but the girl just mumbles that she doesn't think it's a good idea to talk about it. Hold on now. I think we are pretty open to talking about this. Am I right? After all, we all want out of here. 
Phil says, trying to coax the girl. You can't get out. Unless it wants you out, not unless it feeds on you, the girl whispers. Amanda is signing, undoubtedly asking what's going on, but the girl doesn't bother responding. Chloe and I look at each other with more unease. We are only dealing with the ordinary crisis a few moments ago, but with these new ripples, we all feel that we are in an uncharted territory. We sit there in the dark, in between exhaustion and paranoia, trying to figure out what to do next. Everyone has stopped talking and seemed to be falling asleep out of sheer desperation. I can't help but to feel like I need to eat or pee. I don't even know if either would be a possibility. The girl is humming softly to herself for a moment, and then she finally falls asleep as well. Or at least that's what it sounds like. I keep my eyes closed as the rest of the group remains silent, and each begins to softly snore. But I'm not planning on sleeping just yet. The last few hours have me on edge, and I feel like I can't trust the people that are here in this elevator with me. Call me paranoid, like the army guy if you want, but it makes me feel a little safer to keep one eye open. Eventually, all is quiet, and I decide to make my move. Phil is snoring to my left, and I gently nudge myself to stand up. Look at the others, making sure they are all asleep. Sydney, Chloe, Amanda are only an arm length away, all resting next to the door. And then the fidgety soldier is stretched to the right wall, his backpack in between his legs, just a few feet in front of me. Slowly, I slide back down into the crouching position. I stretch my arm out and slide the backpack over towards me. It's time I see what I can find out more about this stranger, I thought. The only person unwilling to divulge any information was automatically a red flag. And his shifty behavior told me that he had to know more about our situation than he was pretending to. In the darkness, it's difficult to see for sure what's inside the backpack. So I reach in and feel around, letting my sense of touch guide me. At the top layer, it seems as though he has placed survival gear such as food, bandages, and other tools, making me wonder just what he was in this building to begin with again. Then below that, I feel a gun. I instinctively pull, out, pull it out and realize that it's loaded with exactly enough bullets for all of us. My heart can help, but to skip a bit. Then he makes a soft grumble in his sleep and I freeze. Worried he has woken. Instead, he turns over and his hand flop onto the elevator floor, sprayed out. I put the gun back in the bag and keep looking, finding a journal next. At first, I'm very disappointed to find it looks normal. There aren't any incriminating photos or anything like that. My suspicion of being, being here for ulterior motives feel unfounded. Then just as I feel like calling quits and resting for the remaining of the evening, a small piece of paper falls out. What the message says makes me rethink his innocence. How much time is left? My heart starts to beat a little faster. Above the note, I can barely read something he scratched out. It looks like a list of names, but I can't read it. Is the note talking about us? The people here in the elevator? I use my phone to get a better view of the scratched out list and realize one of the names is my own. How does this guy know who I am? 
it makes me feel very uncomfortable especially when he, when i connected to the gun i found was he planning to eliminate us i'm too terrified to answer that too confused and worried about the strange circumstances we have arrived at and before i could come to my senses to hide any further snooping i feel a sharp blunt to my head i think it was a few hours before i became conscious again it's another thing we have to make grant we have to take for granted down here there's no real way to track of time since most of our phones don't connect to any network at first i'm disoriented and trying to recall what happened then i remember the attack and my eyes dart open Chloe is standing there, converting with Phil, but I'm not awake enough yet to determine what they are saying. Hey, you okay there, bud? The young man whose backpack I ripped last night asked me. I stand up and glare at him, certain he is the one who knocked me unconscious. Everyone, I was, I was attacked last night, I said. I'm still feeling dizzy trying to get my surrounding, even though... We have practically spent in this tiny prison. These people's faces aren't memorized there. Names come back to my mind faster as my eyes dart between them. Sydney, Amanda, Chloe, Phil, the girl. Wait, I look around again. The girl is missing. Suddenly, I feel the urge to get to the bottom of this, no matter the cost, and grab the young man and pin him to the wall. Ellie, what's going on? Phil asks anxiously getting some damn answers i say as i ball my hand into a fist and shout talk right now before i put a crater in your skull that's enough phil said as he grabbed me aren't you a bit concerned about what the hell he did what he knows i looked through his backpack last night he had a notebook that had my name in it and he had a gun what the hell are you talking about the young man asked Show us what's in the bag, I demanded. What? No. Phil seems uncertain what to do and corners the army guy. Listen, it's time to come clean about this. What's in the bag? All of us have in cornered. He quickly takes his bag and tosses it to us on the floor in the middle of the feet. I have nothing to hide in here, mate. Same as you. You can look all you want, he says with a shrug. The others let me go and I rummage through it, but I can't find a thing. No notes no gun he must have hidden it there must be a secret compartment in the elevator somewhere i said as i look on the floor trying to find any clue to where he had managed to hide it don't you get it he heard that girl and now she's gone i screamed at them i saw they all looked more frightened than before because of my outburst and i tossed the backpack towards the young man i know you did something to her so spit it out where is she I snarled. Ellie, you need to calm down, Sydney insisted. Calm down? How can I when he literally just murdered a nine-year-old girl? I screamed. I'm sure we can sort this out by first treating your injuries, Chloe. Chloe said as she examined my head. You must have had a pretty rough fall. It scared all of us and you've been out for a while, she added. I'm fine. I need to know what happened to the girl. Now, instead of fear, they exchange worried and distressed look. Ellie, I think you need to lie down. Tell me more about the girl and, and then we can sort this out, she replied. For a moment, I almost feel relaxed with her word. Then what she actually said hit me like a freight train. 
What do you mean? Tell me more about her. She was right here. I snarled, and I looked at the blank wall. Any evidence of her drawings is long gone. Ellie, take a look around. There's no girl, Chloe insists. I can hear the sincerity in her word. She truly has no memory of her. The others seem to have a similar confused and worried facial expression, but they are worried about me. They think this is some sort of mental episode? You need to chill, the fidgety army private says. Part of me wants to lash out again, but I'm too terrified of the outcome to try. Everyone is looking at me as a threat. Maybe they're right. Just, just get some rest. While we sort out how to get help, Chloe suggests. I nod and sit down, right where the girl's been. The stair floor, the still floor of the elevator felt colder than ever. It's ironic how I couldn't remember her at first and now I'm obsessed with her disappearance. Was all of it in my head? It frightened me to, to, to consider I might be losing my grip with reality. As the others are preoccupied with the, mental, the, the metal door, Amanda slides towards me. I know that she's probably equally frightened by my outburst, so I apologize to her. I don't know what came over me, I admit to her. She signed me something but then pauses halfway through and writes it down hastily instead. As she is scrolling the message, I can see the fear in her eyes. She doesn't want anyone to see what she's writing. Then she passes it to me. It's a short message, but it's enough to jar me again, to realize I know there's more going on than meets the eyes. She was here. My eyes widen as I realize she remembers her too. Then she quickly scrawled it out so no one can see what she wrote. She makes a simple gesture to me to remain quiet and not only fractionally. A deep unsettling thread cradled me as I looked towards the other in the elevator. These people are the one I'm supposed to rely on to help each other and get out of here. And I can't trust them. Well, that was terrible. That was part one or part two? That was part two. That's part two. Mm. Okay. Okay. So they're all pretending like they didn't just attack him. I'm surprised he wasn't the army guy, actually. I'm surprised it wasn't soldier guy. No, but... but we don't know who attacked him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they're pretending that he wasn't attacked. Yeah, they all that it was from that the fall. It was from the fall, yeah. And then he just that's, passed out. That's ridiculous because before that he was fine. Yeah. But if they're all, all saying and seeing the same thing, then right. it's hard like, to believe it. And also the other person that cannot explain anything is a deaf lady. So they just right. left him out of it and pretending like nothing happened before, like they didn't even see the girl. An army guy is also a little bit suspicious, but I don't know yet because the fact that he has, if I were to see, there are plenty of people with my name in this world. So I don't know if I would be so shocked to see my name on a random list, you know, it's like a Denise or, a, you know, whenever you go to the shops and they have the keychains. Mm -hmm. uh, so but I never maybe... find one with my name, so. <laughs> the day i do you i'm sure, like Jenny? oh i know i know this is uh -huh. yeah um but yeah i just wonder if maybe he has one of those generic names and it just happens to be on the list but i don't know it's just a, it needs a little more and and i want i want to know more uh, do we get to know more today all right so let us know 
what you think and you have to wait till next week you have to come back to get the end of the story because if you have to do the whole series we'll be here forever so (laughs) thanks for listening see you in the next episode bye bye